0: Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message.
1: Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, church. <laughs> so glad to be in the Lord's house with you today, just worshiping. And what makes this the Lord's house is the Lord's people coming together, right? He said we're two or more gathered. My name, there am I. And you can just sense his presence here. I'm so glad that you're feeling comfortable to come out and be a part of us today. I'd like to welcome everybody, of course, and if you're a newcomer here, if it's your first Sunday or you've been here just a short while and haven't had a chance to pick up one of our welcome packets, we have one of these for you, and normally we'd put it in your hand, but today we'd like to ask you to be sure to pick one up on the way out today. They're near the, near the exit doors. Just, just welcome it. So glad to have you here. Glad to have all of you here. Uh, we do have an announcement today that uh, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, collecting school supplies uh, over the next few weeks, which is, our, which is our way here. We've always been involved in some collection of school supplies and distribution of them in, in needy areas, and, and uh, so we're going to be doing that for the next three weeks. And we're going to be actually, this year, we are going to be partnering with the Muskingum Valley uh, Vineyard in Zanesville. Uh, to actually distribute them and hopefully all the plans work out we can have one of our kind of old-fashioned Matthew's parties kind of thing I don't mean more some of you than others but uh, we can just be there and express the love of Jesus to people in need so you'll be hearing more about that but for the next few weeks we'd love it if you could bring some school supplies that drop off in the tote out in front well uh, once again we will not be receiving a physical offering this morning but we do have some offering baskets near the back doors and you're always uh, more than welcome, of course, to continue to give your tithes and offerings online on our website in a variety of ways that we have for that. So, And once again, may I just thank you for your faithfulness in that. I just say thanks again for your faithfulness and all this craziness. That has remained constant. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we look to you now in the mighty name of Jesus, we are so thankful for the privilege of coming back together in this way and just to be in in one another's company in these careful ways Uh, but just so good to be able to sing together to rejoice in you together to come under the authority of your word together to just sense the move of your spirit and we pray Father that you'll continue to lead this service and pour out your blessing on this church for those who can come and those who cannot come and are joining us in other ways Spirit of the Lord would you would you just connect us now and fall on them, and meet the needs of this church as we love you, as we bless you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you again for coming. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm really thankful that I'm going to, to get to share my first time preaching indoors since February. So I woke up at about 2 a.m. this morning. I was I was ready, so thank you for, for coming. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the attributes of God. And when we talk about God's attributes, we're simply referring to the characteristics that make God, God. And this is a really important series for us because we need to ensure that as a church community, that we are worshiping the God of, of the Bible and not simply a, a God of our own construction, a God formed by our own preferences or opinions or by, what, or by the culture around us. And this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at one of the more confusing attributes of God. We're going to be talking about the jealousy of God. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses first received the Ten Commandments from God, and this is what we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Amen. I, the Lord your God, we read, am a jealous God. As I said earlier, this notion that God is jealous, it it can be quite confusing for followers of Jesus. Oprah, in fact, said that she left the Christian faith after hearing a a sermon from her pastor on the jealousy of God. She simply couldn't reconcile the fact that a good God could be jealous at the same time. For jealousy is not a, a trait that we typically admire in other people, is it? You know, if you were talking to one of your friends and she said that she just began dating a guy and... She described him as being funny and intelligent and thoughtful and extremely jealous. I imagine you would have some warning bells going off inside your head, right? Wait, 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 what what was that last trait? What what was that last thing you said? Extremely jealous. Okay, okay. Because jealousy is not a characteristic that we typically applaud in others, is it? But as followers of Jesus, we can't just sweep this statement under the rug in an effort to avoid embarrassment. You know, nothing to see here. Let's just get to the New Testament and forget about the fact that God said he is jealous. For God is described as as being jealous nearly three dozen times throughout the Bible. And in Exodus 34, verse 14, God actually says this. He says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God so closely identifies with jealousy that he says, jealous is my very name. And so again, how in the world can we affirm that God is both good and jealous? Well, first we have to understand that there is a difference between envy and jealousy. Envy is the desire to To have for yourself what rightfully belongs to another. And so you might envy someone else's truck or or their their lawn or their bank account or their smile. And and the Bible is clear that envy in all circumstances is sin. In fact, envy even makes an appearance later on in the Ten Commandments when we're told not to covet our neighbor's house or wife or servant or or donkey. Envy is is sin. And so to speak of God as being envious would be entirely inappropriate because this would imply that God wants something that he doesn't have. No, no, God is omnipotent, meaning he can do all things. And so whatever he wants, whatever he desires, he has. He, he cannot, by definition, be envious of another. But, but jealousy, while, while it's often in in the English, used interchangeably with, with envy, jealousy has more meanings than that. Jealousy can also mean the desire to keep for yourself what rightfully belongs to you. And if we view jealousy through this lens, then, then the jealousy is desiring for yourself what rightfully belongs to you. Then, or as Merriam-Webster Dictionary puts it, vigilantly guarding a possession... Well, then we begin, can begin to see how in certain contexts, jealousy would actually be a good thing. And, and of course, the, the most obvious example is in the context of, of marriage. You, you know, if after the, the service you approached me and you said, Hey, hey, Christian, not really sure how to, to say this, but I was just out in the lobby and I, I just heard a, another man asking your, your wife out to dinner. How would you respond if, if I, I turned around and said, well, gosh, you know, I, I, I guess, I, I mean, I, I guess if she says yes, I, I guess I, I just hope that he treats her nicely. How, how would you respond if, if that was, was, was my answer? I, I mean, that's just not happening, is it? In fact, that would indicate a, a lack of love coming from me. That, that's not happening. You better believe I, I'm making a, a beeline for the lobby at that point, aren't I? Not not because I don't think Celeste can handle herself. My wife, she is, she is more than capable of handling herself. But because a, a righteous, a, a proper and right, jealous love would be rising up within me. A, a desire to protect would be rising up within me. In, in the same way that a jealous desire to protect what is hers would rise up within my wife's heart, if she sensed that there was a woman who was trying to get too close to me. She's not playing that either. And it is right and appropriate for us to jealously guard our marriage because we have committed ourselves to each other for life. Before God, we have said that, that they and they alone would be the source of our romantic affections. The author, Jerry Bridges, he said that rivalry, really at bottom, is the intolerance of rivals. And so within the context of marriage, it is appropriate for Celeste to say to me, Christian, I want no other rivals within your hearts. I want no other competitors, no other challengers, no other contenders when it comes to your romantic devotion. And so do you see, this is so important, do you see what God is saying to us here in Genesis chapter 20? He begins by saying, I am the Lord your God. Not just a God, I am your God. I have chosen you to be my people. I have set my affections on you. I have led you out of Egypt. I've given you great and precious promises that you might be mine and that I might be yours. This is marital language. This is covenantal language. God is establishing a a covenant, a promise between he and his people. I am yours, God is saying, and you are mine. And and like any lover, like any spouse, God comes to us and he he says, I I pledge to you my faithfulness. I, I will be faithful to you. But you must also pledge to me yours. You must not pursue any other gods. You must not give Your heart to another. This is not a picture, guys, of a a cold and, and capricious God who's who's demanding loyalty from his people. That that's what that's not what's happening here. This is a picture of a great lover who's wearing his heart on his sleeve. What kind of God, you might ask, could possibly be jealous for you and for me? Only a God of love. Only a God who, who loves so extravagantly, so passionately, that he would, he would love us with a jealous love. And if you think I'm overplaying my hand, all you have to do is read through both the Old and New Testament to find that marriage between God and His people is one of the central metaphors of the Bible. It's everywhere. And so for the sake of time, just let me, let me give you a couple examples. Isaiah 54 verse 5 says this, For your maker is your husband." The Lord Almighty is his name. Or in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, we read this. This is what the Lord says I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. And in the book of, of Hosea, Hosea the prophet is asked by God to marry Gomer the prostitute so that their marriage and, and Gomer's subsequent infidelity might offer a living picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to her husband, who is the Lord. Listen, guys, there is a reason that when when the Israelites turned to worship other gods, their their betrayal wasn't simply called sin. Their, Their betrayal wasn't even simply called idolatry, but was often referred to as adultery. They were spurning their spouse, spurning the God that they had committed themselves to. Unless we think this is simply an Old Testament metaphor, we find that the dominant metaphor in the New Testament is the what? Is the bride of Christ. We are told throughout the the New Testament that both women and men who are followers of Jesus, are, are part of the Bride of Christ, and, and that a day is coming when Christ and the Bride, which is the church, will be united together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's how the Bible culminates and at the end of the book of Revelation. There's a, a marriage or a, a wedding feast, a wedding ceremony, and who is getting married? Who is coming together? It's Christ and His people, Christ and the church. Do you see what an incredible privilege it is to have God say to you, I love you with a jealous, with a possessive love? Of all his attributes, his jealousy, it's the most vulnerable, it's the most tender, it's the most passionate. Now now we could stop here and I I could leave you with an encouragement to go home and ponder this, this great love of God, this love of God that is so fierce that it's accompanied with jealous desire for you. But but there's more work for us to do today. There's more. We've got got to sit here a little bit longer. For it's not enough to know that God loves us with a jealous love. We must also return his faithful marital love with our own, of course. And the way that we faithfully love God, it's outlined for us right here in our passage in verses 3 through 5. So let's read verses 3 through 5 again. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, at first blush, it might seem like most of us are off the hook on this one, because I, I imagine that most of us don't have little tiny pagan statues in our homes, which we're bowing down to with any kind of regularity. That, that's just my, my guess, But when God refers to abstaining from false gods, or what we commonly call idols, he's not simply referring to these dead little statues. He's referring to anything that has stolen our heart away. Anything in our life that has given prominence or preference over him. Pastor Tim Keller says that we worship an idol in our life when we make a good thing an ultimate thing when we take a a good thing like our career or our family or our health and we give it pride of place in our life so that it becomes more important to us than God himself. And so I want to spend the remainder of our time just just rolling out a few different ways that we do this, a few different ways in our culture that we worship other gods. So here we go. Here's here's what I know. Here's what I know. If during this sermon or or any other sermon, I I say or pray something like this. Oh God, this coming November, knowing how important this election is, will you ensure that the right candidate is elected? Will you put in the White House the candidate of your choosing, the candidate most pleasing to you? I, I know if I say these words typically, I will receive more amens than if I'm lifting up the very goodness of God. And why is that? Why do I know that if I want to get some heads to nod, if I I want to wake people up, I want to bring some amens my way, then then what I would need to do is, I just need to refer to the election, or or make some reference, even vaguely, to our elected officials. Because in, in this country, far too many of us have elevated a good thing a good thing, which is involvement in our political system, and made it into an ultimate thing. And, and this is true. This is true for both the right and the left. I am not trying to to pick sides here. I'm just saying that this is rampant across both sides of the aisle. People are quick to yell Amen. They're quick quick to nod their head when a reference is made to to politics because the po- their political party or their or their candidate of choice is what really truthfully animates them is what really brings out passion for them. Far too many Christians, church, express greater devotion and allegiance to their particular party of choice than to the God they've promised to serve. And this is idolatry. It is. And and, you know, I, I know that for some of you that this is this is a bit awkward. I mean, gosh, the pastor's already referencing politics. And some of you, this might rub the wrong way. And so if, if, if you do want to talk about this, and if you are maybe frustrated with my comments, and I, I do invite you to email me. My email is tom at gcvineyard.org. And uh, please, all caps is, is what I prefer in your emails. Well, let, let's turn to, to another example. Let's, let's head past there. Some of you guys are like, Shh, can you just move on? I can't tell you guys, and and I want to be serious again on this one. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've seen someone actively progressing in the faith. And and they're actively pressing into Jesus only to see them begin dating someone outside of the faith, someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, and then just falling off the rails. It just happens over and over again. And, and sometimes they leave the church completely. And, and sometimes they stick around and, and they just kind of hang out on the fringes. But in almost every case, the fire is gone. The passion is gone. The progress is gone. And why is that? It's because they've, they've made a good thing into an ultimate thing. They've made a good thing. Romance. It's a good thing. And, and they've made it ultimate. They've given pride of, of place in their life so that they said, even though I, I know that Scripture teaches... Then I'm, I'm called to date a man or a date a woman who, who shares my convictions, who, who also follows Jesus. They, they say that, no, no, this relationship is, is more important to me. And this is idolatry. And, and you know, it, it just keeps happening over and over. I, I mean, I used to pastor 20 somethings. That was my old, old role. And I would just see this happen every time. Someone would come to the Lord, even they would get baptized. And then three months later, they'd be dating someone outside the faith and they'd just be gone. And the enemy, he doesn't, he doesn't need to add to his playbook. He can just keep doing the same thing over and over because it just works. And so if you're here and you're single, you just need to be aware, as I'm sure many of you already are, that this is going to be a temptation for you. That you're going to meet a legitimately nice guy, a legitimately nice girl, and you're going to be tempted to just, to just settle down even though they, they are not a follower of Jesus. And, and as a pastor of this church, I, I just really want to encourage you, I urge you to just resist the temptation. Finally, let, let's head to just one last example, see if we can get one more done today. Let's talk about entertainment for a moment. You know, when the stay-at-home orders began at the beginning of the pandemic, a a petition was created on on change.org asking streaming services to drop their membership fees for 60 days. And and over 40,000 people signed this petition. The petition argued that it's the duty of services like Netflix to help keep people entertained and occupied as long as as they were told to stay home. Uh, Essentially, these people were saying that it is a fundamental right to be entertained. For, for many of us in, in this country, entertainment is a God. A, a life without Netflix and Hulu and YouTube and TikTok simply isn't worth living for for many. And, and before you say, well, okay, sir, I, I like entertainment. I, I watch the occasional movie or, you know, I, I've, I've got my Netflix queue lined up. Like, surely, I, I'm not making entertainment a God. Before we go there, let me... Let me just perform a, a brief thought experiment for us, if, if I could. So, I want you to imagine for a second that you were given an ultimatum and, and you had to choose between two different things. Option A, you're asked to give up reading the Bible and prayer for the next week. That, that means you can't crack open a Bible once and you're not allowed to head to a room by yourself and pray to the Lord at all for the next week. Or you can choose option B. And option B is that you are not allowed to look at any screens for the next week. That means no phone, no tablet, no computer, no TV. Which would you choose? Why don't you get there in your head? All right. Well, I have to confess, this This first round, it was way too easy. Because my hunch is that many of you, you chose option A. You chose to stick with with reading your Bible and, and and, and prayer, because that, that's the right answer, right? You're like, I know this, Pastor. I know where you're going with this, so I'm going to choose I'm gonna choose the one that feels right out of a sense of, of guilt, probably. And so let me, let, let me make this a little bit more challenging for us. I want you to imagine the same scenario again. I want you to ask yourself, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is just between you and the Lord. Which of these two options would be harder for you to give up? Which of these two options... Uh, In other words, would make for a longer week for you. A week in which you're just struggling, just trying to get to the end of it. The one in which you're told you can't pray at all, can't read your Bible. Or no social media, no Netflix, no news. No phone. My guess, my guess, is that many of us here would say, you know, if I'm honest, in my heart of hearts, it would be, Harder to go a week without my devices. And, and listen, I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be condemning. Here at all, I'm, I'm not trying to be condescending, but just out of, out of love, a, a, as one of your pastors, I just want to offer up that perhaps, for some of us, it would be harder to give up our devices because, in fact, we love entertainment more than the Lord. Listen, we don't come before our various screens offering literal sacrifices like one would before a pagan god. We don't, we don't come before our screens bringing incense or, or, or offering a dead goat or a dead bull. That, that's, that's not the type of sacrifices we offer. But we come before our screens and we offer the sacrifice of thousands and thousands of hours of wasted time. The, the sacrifice that we de- lay down before the God of entertainment is our time. And we bring this sacrifice day after day after day after day. You know, this might be the, the appropriate time and the, the message to say that next week I'm actually preaching on the grace of God, which is true. So, so if you're here if you're and this is your first time and you're like, whoa, buddy. You're t- We want to go there. We want to talk about the grace of God. And so next week, we're we're going to be hopefully neck deep in God's goodness and His grace and that He is for you and that He loves you and that He sent His Son to die in your place. And we want to lean into that truth, don't we? But friends, we, we, we need to do some business here as well. We need to do some business here too. Now is the time in our lives to cast down our eyes. Now is the time to remove any rivals in our heart, anything that rivals our love for the Lord. And some of us, we just already know that there are idols in our heart that need removed. We can name them. And if that's where where you're at, I just urge you, again, as one of the pastors here, I urge you to come before the Lord in repentance, to turn from this idol, to, to throw it down. Repentance. I urge you to flee from idolatry, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. He doesn't tell us to dabble in idolatry. He doesn't tell us to let it linger around like a nice little pet. He says, flee, flee, flee from idolatry. For our God, church, our God is a jealous, jealous God. And while everyone else around you might prove unfaithful, Your God is never going to prove unfaithful. While everyone else around you might desert you. Some of you, I know your stories, that has happened to you. Your God will never desert you. He has given you His faithful, His never unending love. And like any good spouse, like any good lover, He demands, He demands your faithful love in return. You shall have no other God's. No other loves, no other rivals before me, our God says. Let this be true in our hearts. Let this be true in our church. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for.